Welcome to the Banking on Business podcast presented by Horicon Bank. Banking on Business is aimed at helping entrepreneurs grow their business with practical strategies you can start using today. We are all about engaging our local business community and connecting with other small businesses to raise each other up. Hosted by yours truly, Grace Bruins, marketing officer at Horicon Bank, turned podcaster, at least for the next 20 minutes. Welcome to the Banking on Business podcast presented by Horicon Bank. Today, we are talking to Julia Taylor, who has a fascinating story to tell about her work in Milwaukee, her time spent in this community. And then we're also going to talk about the history and the future of the Beerline Trail and Beeline Park, which is something you are very close to. So welcome, Julia. I am so glad you're here. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to get into your story, but before we do that, we are going to let our listeners get to know you better with a little rapid fire intro to the expert. This is our rapid fire intro to the expert. I fire off the questions and you answer as quickly as you can. Are you ready to play? I'm as ready as I'll be. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do it. Where did you grow up? Windfall, Indiana. And what brought you to Milwaukee? Uh, Actually, a job with the YWCA. Okay. And what was your childhood dream job? You know, it was to be an artist. It was? Yes. And I was an artist when I was young. Yep. And you are today. And I am now. Yes. (laughs) That hasn't stopped. (laughs) Had a big interruption in there, but yes. (laughs) And if you could see any band or performer live in concert, who would it be? Well, I did see the Rolling Stones. And I would say it would still be the Rolling Stones. That's awesome. And now because we're in Wisconsin and we were just talking about snow, are you somebody who embraces the snow or do you try to escape it? I like the snow. We you stay do. here. Yes. Good for you. We have a trip planned in a couple of weeks. We are escaping for the first time <laughs> in a long time. So I'm excited. <laughs> so that brings us to our Marketing Minute, Juliet, where we are going to talk about what else but beer. So I have a beer story for you. In 2020, French's, which is actually a mustard brand, they partnered with Oscar Blues Brewery to create a mustard beer. Would you try a mustard beer? Uh, I would sip it, yes. I would take a sip, yes. <laughs> For the experience, right? I think right? it would probably be better than the fruit beers, to be honest with really? you. Really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you're more of that, that, all right, savory person. All right, so lo and behold, mustard beer sold out in 22 minutes. But the campaign itself created 2 billion impressions. It was covered by over 900 media outlets. And the goal wasn't necessarily the sale of that specific mustard beer, although I'm sure that was excellent to sell out in 22 minutes. But the goal was actually to just stand out in a commoditized category. So the next time you're in the supermarket, you're thinking, what mustard should I buy? French's is your choice, right? So how does that apply for our local listeners? Consider a local partnership that maybe crosses product lines a little bit, but it allows you to create something really custom for your clients, something different that helps you stand out. Now, your product may not sell out in 22 minutes, although that would be great. And I'd love (laughs) to tell that story in the next podcast, but it can definitely get people talking and keep you top of mind. And that is the type of collaborative approach that you, Julia, have utilized throughout your career and I know is something that you're employing when you talk to people about the Beerline Trail and the Beeline Park. So I would like to go back from that just a little bit and have you tell your story about your professional experience and work in Milwaukee. So you came here for a job with YWCA, correct? Right, right. All right. So let's start back there. You came here how many years ago? I came here in 1986, Okay, and I came to be the executive director of the YWCA of Greater Milwaukee. It's now the YWCA of Southeastern Wisconsin. 
And at that point, they had a site in the Grand Avenue Mall, and they also had offices in the Plankington Building and a camp and a site that was in Hales Corners. And so the downtown center had been sold, and there were funds that were being held to operate the YW with. And I was fortunate when I came in, there was a board that really wanted to make change and really start to focus more on economic empowerment of women. And we also focused a lot on racial justice. So when you take those two things together, you know, we worked a lot to help women establish businesses. We were one of the founders of WIBIC, which is still going strong with Wendy Bauman today. But we also did a lot of job training, worked a lot with employers. You know, you talked about partnership. It was all about partnership. We had a job center and child care providers in there. We had people from the state. We had people from other agencies that provided wraparound services, housing. You know, that's really what it takes to help people become economically self-sufficient and help their families grow, move forward. So I was there for 16 years okay. and thoroughly enjoyed my time there, but then felt like it was time for a change. And the position had opened up as the president of the Greater Milwaukee Committee. I applied for that, and I was fortunate to obtain that position. And I was there for 20 years. Wow. Um, and I really loved my time at the Greater Milwaukee Committee. I think we achieved a lot in that time. We still focused a lot on some of the same issues of economic empowerment in the community. Mm-hmm. We focused a lot on regional work, policy work, but also how does the community move forward and become economically successful, but also not squeeze people out in the process. So that was a lot of the work that we did, too, with the Anti-Displacement Fund and a program called Milwaukee United. That's interesting because I think when you think about making progress, really moving forward, I think it's very easy to forget about who you're displacing in that process, right? Right. You think about gentrified neighborhoods and the issues that come out of that. Like, it's great to see neighborhoods being rebuilt, but what happens when people can no longer afford to live there? And so you guys really focused on that. And how do we continue to support the the, the people that may not be able to be here anymore? Or where, where do they go from here? And so you brought in a lot of different, it sounds like a lot of different agencies, whether that's government funded or private funded, you, you brought all of those people together to really meet the needs the community. Right. Well, you really do have to have partnerships to achieve anything. And particularly with the Milwaukee United, you know, we had foundations, Greater Milwaukee Foundation was very involved, the medical college. We also had the city was heavily involved. They actually came up with the initial model. And uh, River Riverworks was actually one of the entities that provided the financial support and did the neighborhood work for this. So, My favorite sayings is that change occurs at the speed of trust. And it takes a while to build trust, but once you build trust, you can get a lot done. And you can get it done a lot quicker if you have the trust. And people know where everybody's strengths are and what you prefer to focus on. Mm -hmm. You can create that alignment. How did you go about building that trust with local businesses, local business owners? You know, I really kind of learned how to do that when we were working on Milwaukee 7, bringing seven counties together that had not always worked together. And one of the things that we started out with, and actually it was Jerry Frankie who gave me this advice, who was with We Energies at that time. 
He said, we need to find a small project we can all work on together. And we started working on transit issues together. And But it, it really, we found out what everybody could do, what their window was, where they liked to work. We got to know each other. And then that moved on to bigger things, including the regional economic development work that still goes on today. And so for business owners, I think it's very, it can be tempting to hear a story like that and say, okay, well, but that involves seven counties. I'm dealing with seven employees, right? But I think some of the principles are very similar. Right. You need to listen. You need to build that trust with your team or with your partners that you're working with so that you can continue to find success. I would think it's even more important when you have a small team of people. I think, you know, when you're going to get work done, if you can do it as a team and you have a highly functioning team is what it's called, where you do have such a high level of trust that people are willing to overlook maybe their own budget to help support somebody else's budget if it gets the agency or the business to reach the goal that it wants to get. I mean, that's kind of the level of trust that you want. Mm-hmm where people look beyond their own goals to those broader goals. And then I think also beyond that, you develop kind of work friendships that allow you to do even more. And so I had a really great team when I was at the Greater Milwaukee Committee. I'm still in touch with a lot of folks, and I enjoyed working with them. I really enjoyed what everybody brought to the table. And I think people could look back and say, we really got a lot done. Even during COVID, we got a lot done. And I'm sure it takes some intentionality to understand those strengths and understand what people do bring to the table. Yeah, actually, there's a book out there that's called The uh, Seven Dysfunctions of a Team. And if you really want to learn how to create a really functional, highly functioning team, read that book. It's a great book that talks about kind of the stages that a team has to go through to get to that high level of trust and that shared knowledge that makes everything move forward with. I'm going to write that down, I think. Seven Dysfunctions of a Team. Right. Okay. And as a leader, how do you stay focused on the goal instead of getting caught up in some of those details? You you had just said really inspiring people to maybe look past like the budget piece or to just com- continue to focus on that shared goal. How do you continue to do that and not get bogged down in day-to-day and, and the difficult challenges? I think one you do it with open hands. I mean, if you can even physically sit there with your hands open, it lets you release ownership. Because I think, you know, there's a whole thing about we all have ideas in our minds about how we're going to do things. And we build these models. And one of the worst things you could do is to marry your model. Because then you're not willing to listen to others or look at change. And you're much better off, I think, to one, keep the goal out in front of you. Mm -hmm. Always have the goal out in front of you. But the other thing is to, like, let others own that model. Put that model out there. Let everybody contribute to it. So the model will change. And a model should change as you go along if you're going to get to the end goal. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it, I always say you really are successful when you get to the end. And it's people say they were there when they weren't even there. You know, it's like with Milwaukee 7. We did a two-day strategic retreat on that. And I've had people tell me that they remember being at that I know they weren't at it, but it's okay. It's like, you know, that's where when everybody owns it. Bud Selig one time told me that three levels of change in a community are the first level is the people in the community will say, that will never work here. Culture's not right for it. The second level of change is they'll say, we tried that 15 years ago. It didn't work then. It's not going to work now. The third level is when they say that's the best idea we ever had. And you just really have to stay the course till you get to where it's the best idea that everybody ever had. (laughs) 
I love that. And you've thrown out some pretty good names just in your time. I bet you've met some really fascinating local, maybe celebrities or, or just local people that we all love and know. I mean, what's some of the most memorable relationships that you've had over your 40 years, almost yeah. 40 years well, here in Milwaukee? Been, you know, it's really been uh, a wonderful time and I'm fortunate to be able to count a lot of people as friends. So, you know, Bud Selig's certainly one of those. Shel Lubar is another and Marianne Lubar as well. You know, and I was really sad to see Senator Cole pass. I always counted him as a friend and he was a person who loved Milwaukee and loved kids and loved education and what needed to move forward with that. And I just actually ran into Steve Marcus yesterday and it was Aww. really fun to see him again. But I would also say, you know, there's some great people too, like Cecilia Gore is a dear friend of mine and has been important to me in my career over the years. Jeanette Mitchell, Tammy Rivera, there's Ellen Gilligan. There's lots of people that I'm fortunate to count as friends. And some of them have continued in a watercolor group with me. So oh, I stay cool. in touch with them. Vicki Barton. It's really, we're really fortunate, one, that we have a strong network of leadership in Milwaukee who like each other and support each other. But the other thing is it's people stay in touch. Was it hard for you coming from a different state, from a different community, to really find that pride in Milwaukee and that excitement about Milwaukee? Or did you really find that right away as soon as you started your position? Well, I will say, I do think that there's a really strong network of professional women in Milwaukee. Mary Ellen Stanick, I think, helped put together some groups years ago, as did Cecilia. And when you were a new woman in Milwaukee, people would gather a group of women together and have lunch with you and they give you ideas on where to go get your hair done. They would give you ideas on things to do with your kids, but also professional advice. And you knew that they were people you could call on and count on. And that still kind of goes on today. So I had that when I started out, which I was very fortunate with. There were a lot of strong women involved with the YWCA that kind of looked out for me. I joined Professional Dimensions right away and Tempo about two years after that. And they were both really important networking groups for me, Rotary as well. And, that, you know, I think to really connect to communities, to join groups like that and participate makes a big difference. But I, I think the other thing that really helped me get off the ground was People, they would form little groups to do things, book clubs, and there were a group of us that wanted to learn to golf that Judy Drinka got together, and <laughs> we never kept score, but we had a great time. <laughs> we had our own rules. You know, if you could drop the ball before the ball landed and you didn't like where it was going, it didn't count. Oh, I like that. So, yeah, we had lots of great rules Good. like that. <laughs> we golfed a lot. <laughs> but that's how you kind of develop that, that trust and that friendship mm -hmm. that goes for years and years and years. That's great advice. I think so often, you know, when you're working on a project or, or trying to accomplish something, it can be easy to forget the importance of the relationships around you and forget to invest in the things that maybe aren't work related, that aren't focused just on that project. And so it's really important to find ways to connect on golf or on book clubs or, you know, things that you enjoy doing with the people you're doing them with. It makes a big difference. So let's switch gears just a little bit. How did you start to work with the Beerline Trail, Beeline Park? Where did that begin in your career? You know, at the Greater Milwaukee Committee, this is probably 10 or 15 years ago, we got active in something called creative placemaking. We were a part of a group called CEO for Cities that actually Richard Daly started. Uh, a woman named Carol Coletta, who's actually with the Memphis Lakefront Parks now, she ran CEO for Cities, and then she ran a collaboration of foundations called Art Place America. Mm 
started that out. And I became friends with Carol. And so we got very engaged in creative placemaking. First, we were focusing on the Grand Avenue Mall. But then also, we became aware of through an architectural student about there was a mile of unpaved trail at that point. It was marked to be trail, but it wasn't paved between Richards and Capitol. Okay. And that became kind of an experimental place for us to do creative placemaking. And we partnered very early on with Riverworks and Daryl Johnson and the neighbors around there, Sarah DeLayden, who's with a consultant with MKE LAX. And we were fortunate that we got some both Art Place America money and then we got Kresge funding. That allowed us to do a lot of imagining with residents and business owners about what could happen on that mile. And what came out of it was a linear park. We were talking earlier about green space before the podcast started. Mm-hmm. And what you don't always realize when you get in dense parts of a city, there are not a lot of green spaces. There might sometimes be little pocket parks, but they're not like Lake Park or Washington Park or some of the big parks that are around. And there is not a lot of green space right there. And so, you know, it became people started talking, imagining what they wanted. They wanted a bike shed. They wanted to get it paved. They wanted a coffee shop. They wanted a stage area. They wanted a place to grill out and have picnic tables. They wanted a place to grow plants. They wanted greenhouses. And so we started pulling that together, and we were fortunate that we engaged a landscape architect. Actually, he's a landscape artist named Walter Hood, who's since become very well-known. We got him at the right time, (laughs) and he's designing all over the country. He was a MacArthur Fellow about three years ago, and he won the National Gish Award and He's a great guy, African-American designer who's designed now some very significant museums down in the Carolinas. Walter's just fabulous. If you look him up on his website, I think it's called Hood Arts. You'll be amazed at the work that he's doing. And so he designed kind of what he called the Lifeways plan for that. And so we've been working on this for probably 10 years now. So when I did retire from the Greater Milwaukee Committee, I asked Joel Brennan, who's my successor, if he'd mind if I continued to work on it. Because I felt like we had made a promise to the community, and I knew the GMC would continue to be engaged in it. But I also wanted to see see it get done. And so we put together sort of a campaign to do it. We recruited Michael Morgan, who... I first met many years ago at the YW when he was the commissioner of Department of City Development, and he's moved back to Milwaukee after his stint at the state and the university, and he was one of the first initiators of the initial beer line trail many years ago. And then we also have Rick Schmidt from C.G. Schmidt as a co-chair. So we have three co-chairs. We have a really strong cabinet, which includes local artists and residents as well. And we were able to open up the coffee shop and the connector building and Mm -hmm. the community room in October, which was a really big milestone. And now we're in the process of raising the funds for the rest of the park. And we're getting ready to bring on a local architect and designer and just figure out kind of how we lay things out. Because it's a former railroad yard, it's had to be capped and had to have Phil brought in. So there's you have to be cautious what you do on that because you can't disturb the cap. I'm learning all this stuff, all this great DNR stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we have to design with that in mind. But, you know, we're really fortunate. Uh, a lot of people have come to the table, like Hawks Landscape is doing the landscape design free for us. And uh, we're going to get the trees donated. We'll put about... 
200 to 300 trees on the trail, and that's coming through the reforestation effort. So, and we've had you know a lot of support from local foundations and businesses, and so it's moving along. It um, is, yeah. And the the other really uh, great thing on it was for years the trail terminated right at Capitol Drive, and so. Working with some of the Riverworks board members, there was a board member who donated almost two mile of former trail, former railroad trail to the city of Milwaukee. And then the Department of Transportation added $4 million to the resurfacing of I-43 to put basically a, a trail or a passageway in under I-43 for the trail to continue. Okay. So it doesn't doesn't disconnect the neighborhoods. It connects the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And then there will be 17 more mile eventually of trail added. About, I would say, probably seven miles of that is already funded. Mm-hmm. And the land is secured or the easements are granted. There'll be a new 20th Street bike trail that will be going up. And so that will all start next year after I-43 is done. And so we're excited about that. And it was great to see the city and the county and Glendale and DOT all working together to make it happen actually very, very quickly. And what do you think a trail like that is this expansive project? It's more than just a park. It's more than just a bike trail. What do you think that means for Milwaukee and the businesses that are here? Well, I think one, you know, some of the businesses that are already on the trail and where the trail is going to come up to are very excited because... It really helps them, I think, even with recruitment purposes. People like to ride to work. People sure. like to have green space around. And knowing that you're going to have a park in right behind your, your business or a trail that's going to be readily accessible. And I think for residents, too, this is going to go up by Hampton, up by Good Hope. So it's going to open up to a lot of communities that may not really have access right now to bike trail. Okay. They'll have access. Do you feel like you had to do, you know, you talked about those three steps of this will never work. And then we tried that before. We thought this could work and it's not going to, to now you're at that point where it sounds like there is a lot of buy-in. People think it's a fantastic idea. Just hearing you and hearing your passion. I think it's a fantastic idea. Did you go through all of that in the last 10 years that you've been working on this project? I think that's why it's been 10 years. Yes. (laughs) My other favorite saying in Milwaukee is it's the 25-year overnight success story. (laughs) It's a little bit like Menominee Valley. You know, Menominee Valley happened or the Harbor District and people are Mm -hmm. blown away by it. They don't realize how many years that was in process to get there. That's interesting. And I think even on like a smaller scale, I think about my home community and reflecting on, say, 10 years ago when no one wanted to be downtown. There was vacant buildings. It was like, what is there to do here? Get out of Dodge. To now we've got these small businesses that want to be there and they're collaborating together and they're making this space where people want to be. And suddenly Saturday mornings, it's like, retail therapy out there. We've got sidewalk sales and we have people visiting local restaurants and coffee shops. And it's really special when you start to see that. But I think even residents who've been around for those 10 years go, when did this happen? Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think they realize the people, the, the business owners that are a part of it from the very beginning and what a huge process that is. And right. you, you really do have to continue to look at that goal and just stay that course 
or not feel encouraged through it, right? Like right. feel, feel disengaged. Like it's abandoned. And, yeah. Right, right. right. Yeah. And, and we've been fortunate to do Carl Nielsen, who is the head of the, he's the a business owner who's also chairs the business improvement district there, has been very active and very supportive of the work all through the years. You know, and a lot of people don't realize this too. Activation's very important. I mean, we've activated that trail and that the pre-park for years now. And even downtown by the Grand Avenue Mall, the original night market was a GMC pro- funded project for, through Newaukee. We contracted with Newaukee okay. and Sarah Delayden to do that project. You know, initially, because the thing we put out to Newaukee is we had to come up with something that would create activation, it would get people to overcome their fear of safety, and would would preferably be in the evening because that's when everybody went home and we wanted people to stay downtown. Sure. And so originally they were going to do a giant sleep out over one weekend. And we sort of said, you know, it's a lot to, to plan for in one if it rains, you know. So, oh, sure. <laughs> so the night market, they came up with the concept of the night market and it's still going strong. You know, and I think it made a difference. You know, if you talk to John Kissinger, who's at Grafe, and John's very active mm-hmm. with our Beeline project, John will tell you, I think one of the reasons he moved Grafe downtown to the Grand Avenue Mall was that night market going on for years. Grafe was very early to get involved in that and a huge supporter over the years. So what is next for the Beeline Park? What, you know, you you said you've got the connector building, right? There's more buildings that are going to be constructed hopefully this summer, but what's next? Well, we're in the process of continuing to raise our funds, but the technical stuff that's going on is we've hired an owner's rep now through Riverworks and Riverworks. So the land is owned by the city. Riverworks is going to be the managing entity for the park. And we're in the process of hiring an architect and local designer to work with Walter Hood that will actually do the drawings and and figure out where we could put things as well. The park needs to be fully accessible as well. Mm-hmm. And so as we move that forward, then we'll start kind of uh, moving forward with different buildings. It could be the bike shed this summer or the stage, but we're going to be moving forward with, with those different elements to go forward. There, there'll be a lot of different cool little things on there, too, including these structures that will kind of look like shipping containers, but they'll be open. Oh. And uh, there'll be areas that people can get in and out of the elements. People can dance on there. They can put picnic tables on there. It'll be kind of like small little family spaces for sure. people to gather. So, and there is a lot of programming that currently goes on the trail, including the Beeline Shuffle. There's cornhole tournaments. Mm. There's live music. So there's, if you go to the Riverworks site and take a look, you can see some of the activities that, that are going on. And if there's a business that's listening and is interested in getting involved somehow, what should they do? The best thing would be probably to contact Daryl Johnson at Riverworks. And Daryl, he knows all the business owners anyway, but sure. I think it would be a great way to get to get people engaged. That's awesome. Well, I am super excited for everything that is happening, everything you're a part of, and seeing all of these ideas happen, right? And, and everyone Correct. just getting in on this dream that you have been working on for 10 years. And I can't wait for this summer when it all really starts to to go into place. Yep. We're excited about it too. That is awesome. Well, Julie, here is where we are going to get a little inspirational for our listeners. All right. 
So as you know, Horicon Bank is the natural choice for banking. And that's not just a tagline. It's a commitment to being environmentally friendly and supporting environmental causes. And in fact, we do have a partnership with the Milwaukee Zoo, which is really exciting. So in that spirit, I'm going to give you an interesting animal fact, and I'm going to ask you to turn it into some inspirational advice. All right. All right. So here's your fact. Giraffes can hum, but only at night. I think my advice would be, my inspirational advice would be, don't be afraid of humming in the nighttime. (laughs) It could be a beautiful giraffe outside your door. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I, I was reading some of these to my kids and I was like, guys... Do you realize that giraffes can hum? And I think so for so long, you know, giraffes have vocal cords. We just didn't realize they could use them, but apparently at night. So don't be afraid of it. I like it. <laughs> All right. Before we end the show, Julia, I would like to wrap up with some actionable advice for listeners. So what is one thing that you hope entrepreneurs and small business owners listening can take away from our podcast today? I would say to listen to your team. Pull your team together. Trust that you put them together uh, as a team because of what they bring to the table. Give them the next project to solve and don't say anything. Just listen. That is excellent advice from someone who has been leading teams for a very long time. Thank you, Julia, for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Grace. It's a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in the loop on all things banking on business related, visit horiconbank.com slash banking on business and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.